Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have heard Sway by Lufthouse yet, but yo. That's my joy. That's my joy. Hey, yo, displace the guilt. What's good, friends and family, neighbors near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I'm your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. the guy who will unapologetically take that last biscuit at the Thanksgiving dinner, a.k.a. Nate 3.0. Back at it again with yet another episode of The Podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I am joined in conversation by Brian Walker, a.k.a. A Day Without Love. We have a killer chat about his life and music and his latest album, A Stranger That You've Met Before Today. I had such an incredible time, and I'm stoked to be able to share that here with you. And that is coming up in a minute. But before we get into that, happy gobble gobble, everybody. Big fan of the Thanksgiving festivities over here. Mostly, I get excited for leftovers. Is that weird? You know, I think I get more hype knowing that I'm going to be able to eat turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing and sweet potatoes and green bean casserole and all of that for the next week. Oh, God, I love Thanksgiving eats. Sign me up for all of those tryptophan-induced dreams. Speaking of Thanksgiving, we have an all-new campaign episode of Oops All Bards dropping this week on the Oops All Bards feed. But since our scheduled release days are Thursday, this one will actually be coming out a day later on Friday. So search for Oops All Bards on your podcast app and subscribe and check that out. And of course, if you haven't done so already, please check out www.yothatsmyjohn.com to access the link tree to this very show. We've got links to the website. We got uh, merchandise, links to guest appearances I've had on other shows, and uh, of course, a link to sign on up for the mailing list. So do that, you know. You want those updates delivered straight into your inbox? Hell yeah. Check it. www.yothatsmyjohn.com. Like, rate, review, subscribe, and help a guy out. Okay, I've blabbered enough here in the intro. We're going to take a very short break. And then, my interview with Brian Walker. Yo, That's My John is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, it is festival season. And you know me, I love a festival. And the secret to enjoying a festival is to stay hydrated. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep before, power through to the headliner, and recover after the weekend. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. Man, I love Liquid IV. It comes in a convenient packaging, and it's tasty. When you see me at the Exponential Music Festival this fall, you know that I will have Liquid IV on me. And it comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. All right, strawberry used to be my favorite, but they have this new one. It's strawberry lemonade, and it is a banger. One stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. 
It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. So Liquid IV partners with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world. Okay, and you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the promo code YTMJ at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using the promo code YTMJ at liquidiv.com. Do it, and let's get our fests on. My guest today is a multi-genre and multidisciplinary creator on a mission to spread good vibes and help others rise above their own struggles. He is a singer, songwriter, podcaster, documentarian, and poet whose latest album, A Stranger That You Met Before Today, is out now on Your Mom Records and is available streaming wherever you stream music. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show... Brian Walker, a.k.a. A Day Without Love. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Brian Walker, a.k.a. A Day Without Love. Brian, thank you for joining me on Yo, That's My John. Hey, Tom. How's it going? I'm glad to be here. Um, it's it's going well, especially now that we're getting to have this conversation um, behind the scenes for everybody else. We've been like kicking this around for like almost a year now, um, and you got hit with what I like to call um, Nate has ADHD and can't focus, and he's very bad at scheduling things. So um, uh, first of all, thank you for your patience, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, second of all, like I'm so glad we're finally doing this. I'm glad too. I'm very very excited to. Not just talk about the record, but but just to connect, you know. Um, I know, like some musicians talk about things like, you know, interviews are hard. I was like, they don't have to be. It's just about talking about what you've done and 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 where you're going and and learning from another person's perspective. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Dude, and I'm I'm glad to hear that because like uh you know sometimes it is like sometimes it's like pulling teeth like it's like mm-hmm. okay so I know you have a thought in there I've heard all of your stuff I know I know you are creative to be able to come up with something here but um so let's start I always like to start all the way in the way back tell me a little bit about yourself uh, where'd you grow up so I grew up in Germantown Mount Area area so some people call it uptown but you know most people that live in uptown don't call it uptown they just say I live in Philly but uh yeah I was born in Germantown hospital uh grew up in the Mount Area Wadsworth neighborhood and went to elementary school in Chestnut Hill in Philly uh and then for high school because you know I'm 35 I grew up in the era where Philly went from an okay place to start and become a bad place because i was born in 88 you know crack epidemic that was anywhere in the east coast and then in the 90s uh things like oh you go to martin Luther king high school like that was like it was a bad thing to go to martin Luther king high school so i was raised by my grandparents and uh they pretty much said you know we're either going to move you to the south so i almost moved to north carolina which is interesting because they're going to move to either raleigh or charlotte and musically speaking i'm pretty sure i would have became a rapper if that were the case but that's not what happened um 
or we're going to move to the suburbs of Philly. So my grandma still wanted to stay close to the family. And like, I have a lot of family from North Philly, you know, from Kensington to Alney to Allegheny, like all, all the neighborhoods. So we moved to the suburbs in Springfield, Montgomery County and finished high school there. And then I just transferred over to college. And even though like I was in the suburbs, I was still in the city because all my friends from the, uh, the city were from church and other activities. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, um, uh, this is just a random question cause, uh, I'm, I'm a Monco guy myself, uh, okay. uh, for most of my life, um, little, little stint in Western PA, but for the most part yeah. I've been in Monco. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what, what train, what train, uh, line is that what, what what goes around there septa wise so where i lived was interesting so i lived like during my high school years uh between the chestnut hill east the chestnut hill west and the glenside and because okay. of that like grant i did live other places like currently i live in boston but um i also lived in new york and um, I lived in Long Island, and anyone that lives in Long Island knows, like, the LIRR is the way to get to the city, like, in New York City. And similarly to Philly, like, if you live in the surrounding counties, like Delco, Monco, Buckscow, um, or even Chesterco, you could just take a train right into the city, and then you take, you know, the Broad Street, the MFL, and all that stuff. So because I lived where I lived, which was right outside of Wadsworth, Mount Airy. So even though I moved to the suburbs, I could still see Philly from where I was at. I literally never bothered to get a car until I was 28. And what I would do is I take the Chestnut Hill West because I was the quickest way to West Philly, go to a show, go to a party, whatever. And the train to Glenside, the last one got the Glenside at 2.20 in the morning. So it was like, what's the point of ever having a car? <laughs> I, uh, you were 28. I was 31. Same exact yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and then the only reason why I got a car was because my touring career started to expand because, you know, I started touring via mega bus, uh, couldn't really afford owning a car in my earlier twenties. And I was just like, all right. So since mega bus is affordable, it's not really that affordable anymore. And bolt bus is affordable. I could travel to these cities and these towns for one, $5 and then make like, you know, 50, a hundred bucks, maybe even more depending on my merch situation. And like, until it was like, okay, these four day tours are turning to six day tours to seven day tours. That's when it was like, all right, time to get a car. Yeah. Um, so, um, back, backing up again, uh, raised by your grandparents, what were they listening to? Like what was playing around the house then? Um, cause there's a generation gap there then oh, yeah. in, musically. So I grew up on a lot of um, jazz, neo-soul, Motown, um, old school R&B. So like from Gladys Knight and the Pips, Bill Withers, Michael Jackson, Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix was the farthest I got into rock like growing up until I started meeting other kids and they introduced me to stuff. B.B. King, um, Freddie King. Uh, buddy guy like that's that those were the things that i was just growing up listening to the temptations and, and so forth and so forth and um it wasn't until i was 15 that i met these kids from new jersey on a family cruise that i got into rock and punk rock and learning things like green day afi smashing pumpkins and stuff like that uh, that's awesome when uh when when did you start like uh playing music and stuff like that so I was first introduced to guitar at 15, but I didn't actually start playing until I was 18. So okay. I was a late, I was a very late bloomer, but you know, 
I don't regret that because it was almost like I was doing martial arts in my early years, but I was doing martial arts and learning things like rhythm by movement because I wasn't just like competing. I also was doing demos and I was meeting people like that love different kinds of music and I had an intense like appreciation for it. And then at 18, I was like, all right, I'm already competing in Taekwondo. College is pretty well. I want to do something else. And I was like, I'm going to pick up the guitar and then like, it just was uphill from there. So yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so here's a, a random uh, question: uh, What kind of um, discipline from Taekwondo have you kind of taken over into music? Because you, you mentioned the rhythm um, and stuff like that, but like I gotta think that the kind of um, uh, practice and and kind of just studying kind of helps kind of find a focus when you go to do something else. True. So, like, uh, I'm not going to, like, recite the tenets of, of Taekwondo. Uh, like, I'm a first-degree black belt. Um, but Taekwondo kind of teaches you, like, core values of discipline and also, like, bringing value to your community and not dishonoring uh, your, your parents, your family, your friends. And while that's martial arts, I think that kind of translates very well to, like, independent and punk ethos. And I was just thought to myself, like, if a day without love, like as a project is about rising above and, and, and being a better person and taking your problems and making your lemons into lemonade, then how can I take that plus my punky, like plus my martial arts ethos and then turn it into like my philosophy as a musician and, and being a better musician. So, yeah, yeah definitely. And, and, and like, I, I can absolutely see kind of that correlation um, be, between punk, you know, because like, I think that's one of the, the greatest misnomers of like uh, uh, anybody who's like anybody who is in the punk scene or has been at spent any time in the punk scene understands how important community is. But like, it seems it, to to outsiders, it seems antithetical to that when really like that's the core. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's wild. Like, um, and and like, there's kind of like a um, like a, a a family that you're not born into kind of spirit, like mm -hmm. in that community as well. So like, I feel like the bond between people in 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 a punk scene, or I mean, like a, a lot of scenes, but like that kind of found family. That's the word I was looking for. Like, I knew it would come to me at some point. Um, but uh, <laughs> but that kind of found family, like it to me, sometimes is stronger than than anything. You know. Totally, totally. I completely agree with that. And I definitely think I I had that concept of found family pre-music from, like, martial arts. I found that, like, even, like, growing up in the church, um, you know, I was a junior deacon in the church. I, found, I had that concept of found family, like, uh, even in Boy Scouts of all places. Like, I wasn't – and, like, I know society has, like, problematic – like annotations towards both of those institutions but like that wasn't my experience <laughs> like right. and i'm not saying that the, that the bad experience is not real i'm just saying that my experience really kind of made me accept punk as well as hip-hop because like despite you know releasing and dropping like punk records relatively um i also have like a quite a bit of features in hip-hop actually i'm going to drop a verse later tonight with another person but like I have an uncle who's a, is a hip hop DJ in Augusta, but like got a start in um, Philly with the guys like Larry Gold in the 80s, right? And then moved down to Atlanta um, late 90s. And he's worked with people like Gucci Man and things like that. And like 
him granted i can't say he's my mentor but like just growing up under that and then having other uncles that played like guitar the idea of community and like finding what's important to you really like i can't say it was taught to me directly but it was things that i absorbed like a sponge growing up so yeah, yeah definitely from, from definitely from being around it and by the way now that you just mentioned it um i just before uh, all of this uh heard um you um spitting over the uh dilla beat that's on on youtube and uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah i like that I like thank you thank lot. you i appreciate it <laughs> um so so you know around 18 you start playing guitar are you immediately writing songs like are you immediately getting your thoughts out or are you kind of just playing in bands and and you know covering other stuff or so no and what's funny about that is like writing songs like writing prose or, or lyrics or bars i had been doing that since i was 11 but i wasn't doing it publicly like i was nervous um you know i remember at 11 i was writing like poems to girls i had crushes to on but never sending it writing about pokemon power rangers like you name it right but then moving forward to 18 I didn't actually start thinking about like, wait, I could take my love of writing like words and my love of playing guitar. I didn't think about putting those two together until I was uh, like 21, like 2021, 20, roughly. So those two years, I didn't think about, hey, I could join a band. I just was like, learn what I can learn and see what could happen. And then I met this band that was from uh, Philly and Jersey called Track Royalty, and they kind of adopted me, saying, like, we think you have talent, open up at our open mics, and, like, I would play places in Jersey. I played the Trocadero, RIP, things like that. Um, and then when I transferred colleges, because I was at Lehigh University, and then I transferred over to Penn State, um, I noticed that Penn State was a heavy cover scene, and, like, Philly has always kind of been, like, this is your place to be yourself, cut your teeth, and just see where you, you get in when you fit in and i noticed penn state didn't have that and that didn't make sense to me because like trivial fact uh penn state as a college is like like granted there's people from all around the world but like that main campus is pretty much 30 30 30 pittsburgh philly new york city right and i mean i can't speak for new york city despite living in long island but at that time i was like if 30 percent of the kids here are from philly they can't be enjoying the cover bands. So I started this thing called the Songwriters Club. And I think that is kind of like what gave birth to me, like writing music, recording music, uh, playing at open mics, doing our sets, doing charity concerts, opening up for bands. And I didn't call the music a day without love, but like at the same time, I just was like finding out like, what does it mean to be a performing musician without realizing like, this was the goal. It was just kind of like, I'm just trying to learn how to be good, you know? So yeah. Like Could you imagine, um, at, and, and I, I know this is a stupid question because no, of course you can't imagine it, but could you imagine at that time, like that essentially you were building the building blocks of what you would use for almost now the rest of your life, you know, like being able to organize something, you know, out of nothing and, and put shows on in spaces that maybe don't have a show, you know, don't have a show space or sure. something like that, you know, like, I'll be honest, no, because the other thing that was interesting and, and back to the community point of what you said, I was also in this like uh, local Philadelphia uh, political organization called Youth Action. They still exist. Uh, it used to be sponsored by Tavis Smiley, but then Tavis Smiley got me too. But like, it's still like this organization where it's essentially like 
black youth helping black youth. So we did all sorts of things like uh, book fundraisers for kids that didn't have access to books in the school or like books to read other than their school books. Um, you know, keeping kids safe from like abusers. Like we, we had so many different campaigns and I was doing that in high school, right? But again, I'm doing punk organizing without calling it punk organizing in high school. And then like I took a lot of those leadership organization skills and used that to form the Songwriters Club. And like the Songwriters Club in college was like about uh, creation, collaboration, and community. And those were like the three tenants. And like, I don't know if the club still exists, but like, that's what I wanted people to get around on like share your songs and like develop bands or collaborators create to your own standards and what your own uh, utilities are um you know strengths are and then like always give back and that was like just values I learned from my grandparents the church you know youth action and things like that and at the time uh to be completely honest with you I kind of thought of it like I'm going to do this I'm going to get a job or go to grad school and I'm probably going to be considered too old to play guitar and I'm going to like just go to my house, find some type of life partner and have kids at 25. That none of that happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. what I thought at like 19, 20, 21. And also because I had like very, very crippling imposter syndrome because I didn't have this concept of like, oh, people like what I'm saying, you know? Um, I just was like trying to learn and um, yeah, so so the quick answer is like, no, I didn't think of that, but I wanted to expand on that so that you get an idea of like what was happening and, and now I go like, wow, I'm glad that those things happened, so. Yeah, it's like the, yeah, it's definitely like the, the building blocks of kind of, of what you've, you know, what your, your, your master form, I guess, you know, where yeah. you're at now. Not that, not that you're at your final form, you know, you, you, yeah. you, yeah, but you get the point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, you know, you, you um, start that uh, songwriters club and um, are, are there any collaborators from that that you still kind of communicate with or, or, or work with or? Yeah, there's a number of people that like live in Philly that I still talk to just like casually uh, or just people I've talked to like across the country. Like so there's this one guy named Nate um, and Nate Spillman lives in Seattle, Washington, and he has a covers club where and and uh, KXP even features it, believe it or not. But he has a covers club that's like digital where people vote on a song and they vote on a song to cover. And it's like a, a virtual chat and everyone listens to their versions of the same song and they support each other. I haven't done it in a while simply because I've been touring and like recording and stuff. But like whenever like things are in the off season, which is about to come up, I usually hop on and uh, we all like do different covers. So like we've done like the gorillas, uh, we've done, um, yeah, that's the last one I remember, but we've done a lot, and I think they're up to, like, round 24, so that means, like, 24 covers have been made by multiple people. Uh, there's also Zane Matsko, who, like, lives in Philly, but I think uh, the the one, there's a lot of people I, I communicate with, but the one that I communicate the most with is uh, Hugo, and Hugo is a Nigerian rapper who lives in Jersey and runs his own uh, uh, podcast, and it's, like, a video podcast where, like, you can see on the YouTube and stuff like that, so... 
That's awesome. That's see, like I, I like that's the other part of uh, uh, all of this that like I absolutely love is like I love kind of meeting people and then those people kind of following not following but like being a part of your life, you know, and, and you know because it just that's part of you know it's part of the community. It's it's part of building you know the the kind of system the the structure that that we all kind of long for. I guess you know mm-hmm. like we're all like it's what I'm looking for. Like I. I I uh, have a very small um, uh, music career in my past, um, kind of in my past. Every once in a while, I think about dusting off the guitar or something like that and, and getting back into it. But this kind of took over some time. But like, but the, you know, a bunch of the people I met and a bunch of the people that I played with. That's how this podcast started because I just knew all these people and I was like, hey, let me talk to my friends. And then all of a sudden I was like, all right, I've talked to my friends. Who else can I talk to? You know, like who else is out there? You know, and now now I just use this as an excuse to talk to my radio. That's what I say. Like I'll, I'll hear like a new release and I'm like, that's amazing. I should have that person on the show so that I can just be like, tell, tell me more about your music. You know, like. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with that. Um, so, so, um, at that time, like what, what were the songs like? Were, were you, you know, um, kind of, you know, cause one of the things that I find, um, completely fascinating and inspiring about you is that, uh, is how open you are, uh, not just in, in song, but in, in communicating like to, you know, on, on socials and stuff like that, it, just everything, like the, 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 everything you're going through, you know, the good and the bad. And and I find that admirable because people way too much on socials and and in song and stuff like that kind of want to just be like, no, look, it's great. It's everything success, you know, and and one of the things that I think is really incredible about you is just kind of your vulnerability. And it's 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 um, it's it's definitely to me like what I think like is needed more. Um, especially nowadays, like it's just, uh, I'm, uh, I kind of had this conversation about social media recently where like, um, uh, we all hate it and we all talk about how fake it is yet here we are all doing the dance and I don't understand why that is. Like if nobody likes it, why are we doing it? Right. So, and it takes people like yourself to kind of break out of that, to show that like there is another path to do it. Um, which was a long way to go back to, um, was, was your music as vulnerable back then or, or did it, did that take growing into yes and no um i would say my music back then and like if you do a deep dive you could probably find some of those songs um was more ranty and more metaphorical so like case in point i wrote this song called machines and that i played a lot in college right And what the song was about was how I forecasted that we were going to live in a world where technology was going to essentially help us all, but hurt us all. Right. Which is funny because that, (laughs) right. But the way way I wrote it, like musically, as well as uh, sonically and lyrically is I just kept calling technology a cancer as opposed to just saying the story, right? Um, I also did that with another song called Clouds in the Sea, where instead of writing about unrequited love, I referred to my love of this person as the distance of clouds in the sea. And like, I could get back into metaphorical writing, but I think what really kind of 
led me to hate it is because when I would see other people like do these metaphors, I was like, that person just needs to say what they feel. And then I was like, well, look at myself. And then that's when I said, like, no more metaphors. I'm just going to tell the story. Um, and that's not to say that I don't have metaphors at all. Um, like, for example, my song Caffeine has a triple entendre, one being about black empowerment, the other one being about addiction. And third is being more literal. Like, I love caffeine, <laughs> you know. Um, but the thing is, I'm still telling the story of me and other songwriters that work a nine to five, but also are driving on nine to five, 95, you know, just to get by. Like, whereas like back then I didn't really have that level of, um, layering in my songwriting. Like not only did I become just a better musician, better singer, better guitarist, but back then it was just kind of like, let me play three chords and just yell a lot versus and like make it as self-deprecating as possible use words like pontificating you know like who uses pontificating every day you know i don't do you, <laughs> yeah. you know? whereas now i'm like how can i be relatable not just to myself but also to other people so that i'm more accessible yeah well it, it it's very successful um because um uh uh i like i said like you have a lot of stuff that absolutely resonates um, you know, and, and, and I think that like, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the socials. Like, I feel like the more the wall comes down, the more like I want to engage with something, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I've, I've, and, and part of it's just like, I, I'm, I'm too old and too tired to like have to break through a facade to kind of understand where things are coming from, you know? And I, and I like, and, and also like, I hate coded stuff. Like every, I'm just so tired of like, you know, just all of this code. Like, I just like something upfront and just tell me, just tell me what you think. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and, yeah. And I, and I like that you said that because I noticed not only just from like playing with more songwriters and, and, and not just songwriters, but just shows that I noticed that like, some people love to speak in like, I'm going to make this a metaphor to get to my point. Some people want to speak in triangles, pentagons and heptagons, but really they just want to speak in a circle. Um, and I think that could be very frustrating um, for both the listener as well as um, the player, because like take Jimi Hendrix, for example, great guitarist, great singer but if you really look at his lyrics what was he talking about i really don't know he really loved using colors to describe these abstract situations and it worked for him but like saying something like living with the days behind the rivers of my red uh red daisy just to fill in my sands like he could have just been talking about drinking from a red solo cup <laughs> you know like that's the difference between being more direct versus like a little too metaphorical and it works for some people but i don't think it works as much as it used to so. yeah i remember the point for me where like it, it started to where all of it started to crack and and it, mm. it, it affected my own songwriting for a while um and that was um you, you know the aerosmith song pink all yes. right um, the worst metaphors ever. Like, it's not even like, it's like, what are you doing? Like, you're not even trying. They, it's like they gave up even trying. So like yeah. around that time, 
You know what I mean? Like it's it's like, dude, if you're gonna do it, just fucking say it. Like you're not like <laughs> it's so it's so bad. It's not like you're you know writing some kind of poetic thing at that point. You know, like True. I I just got to a point where I was like, um, uh, if if nobody's gonna try, then why why are we playing this game? Um, essentially, right? True. And that True. was that that was like where it started for me. And then like it kind of grew into like an. You know, I don't want to uh, kind of mix uh, uh, thoughts here, but like somewhere around 2016, and I don't really remember exactly what happened. I think we know what happened. Um, I just lost patience with um, everybody. Okay, like I, I really did, and I lost patience for um, things that I thought we all agreed on. Okay, yeah. that we don't uh, clearly yeah. all agree on, and um, uh, now I kind of just need to know upfront. It, that we that we agree on things you know what i mean and and yeah. and i know that's like i know that's dismissive and i know that like cuts off a whole you know uh conversation with certain people and all but like i really just need to know like i just need to know where we are you know what i mean like before we no, can even start I'm, I'm with you on that because uh like to take it even deeper like outside of music like when that happened i even took it to the point of like typing in certain code words on my social media to see like who have i been like connected to that really isn't for people that look like you and me like you know yes. what I, mean? I learned a lot <laughs> so no i definitely hear you that yeah so um so yeah that that kind of lends to it like it's kind of like a, a perfect storm of a bunch of stuff that kind of uh, sure. thrusted that into um uh, uh the diatribe that i just went through there for no reason no, yeah. uh, <laughs> but hey uh so so you you know you're starting to write and stuff like that when does when does a day without love start because it started as an actual band correct yeah so a day without love started when i was 24 um like there are some writers that say like i've been doing this since college and and the thing that i think people don't understand and i want to clear this up is i flirted with the idea of a day without love in college because i wrote a poem about a day without love because i saw uh two a couple a man and a woman uh fighting and the man started beating the woman and i stopped it and i called that poem a day without love and I futzed around with so many different band names, sometimes called it Brian Walker Project, some called it Black Magic. There were so many weird names that I made, but I didn't really call my music A Day Without Love until I was 24. And the reason why is because I was homeless. I was homeless in grad school. I had a job. I had an internship. I had a grad school career. And I was in my last year of grad school. Um, and Hurricane Sandy hit. I was not allowed to stay in my apartment because of the living conditions. And I was just crashing in libraries, crashing in friends' houses, crashing wherever I could, like like a person who is without a house would. And I remember this one specific time where I crashed out in public and a man tried to urinate on me and it didn't work. And I went to my house even though i wasn't allowed to be in my house at the time and i played this song called wake up uh you can't find it anymore i took it down from the internet but it was a metaphor this is a metaphor song about me waking up to my own potential my surroundings and knowing that i need to move forward no matter what happens right and that became my, one of my many mission statements to write this project where i write seven to ten albums i'm on the fourth album so there's still a lot left um about why a human 
should look at all of their problems and accept themselves for who they are and move forward to rise above their own adversity. So at that time, that's when I called it a day without love. And that was in 2013. Like the event happened in 2012, but the recording, the writing, all that stuff, like, like the birth of it happened in 2013. So like, this is the 10th year of a day without love. And, um, yeah, it started out as a band. Uh, I had a friend who was really good at drums at the time, another friend that was really good at lead guitar, and another friend that was good at uh, production and bass. And I just asked them, hey, can you um, be my band? And we would play shows, and we played a lot of Philly shows. And um, I was still scared of touring, so the touring era of me did not come out yet. And uh, I think the farthest we ever got was like some Pocono show. Lineup changed here and there, but guess what? Lineups changed all the time. And uh, yeah, I played as far as like the Poconos, but mostly stuck to uh, Philadelphia, a few Monco shows here and there. And then the rest is history. But yeah, that's how it started. So, you know, um, Sand, uh, wait, Sandy? Is that what you said? Yeah, Hurricane yeah, Sandy. Yeah. Um, where were you uh, going to school when that happened, or where was? I was at yeah, I was at Hofstra University in Long Island. Okay. Okay. For my master's, and it was like it, it didn't feel good. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Did you um lose anything in the house? Fortunately, no. So the thing is, the reason why it wasn't considered livable is because granted, I lived off campus. There was no heat, electricity, or water. Gotcha. So it wasn't like it was a it was a place, but it really wasn't a place. So I was in and out just to get clothes, but I had to take a shower elsewhere. I had to do laundry elsewhere and everything else. Um, and it felt very dystopian because it was like I'm not a hundred percent houseless, but I'm houseless. Right. You know? Sure. I have no place to keep my food, so I have to figure out what do I eat each day while still like having this internship with JP Morgan and like working at a school that makes all this money and they didn't have any spaces for a dorm or a temporary dorm. So it just was kind of, it felt weird. Um, like despite, like I'm not a Zodiac person, we're going to say this for joke, like despite being a, a Libra, I wasn't very balanced. <laughs> you know, I, like I, was, yeah. I like it. Um, let, that, that is a lot to like, to like process and it's got to feel like, um, uh, it's not even surreal. Like it's got to feel like just kind of um, completely perplexing to have to navigate to have to navigate the world of like, okay, I'm going to to work for the internship now and and have to pretend. Like, did you have to pretend that everything was fine or like? Oh, so many times. Like, and it, and it felt dystopian because like anyone that's been to Long Island knows that like, yeah, there are low income neighborhoods, but to scale compared to like Philly or Detroit or New Orleans, it's they're all affluent. Um, it's like, there's no middle class. There's no low class. It's affluent to like really, 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 really rich. Like even the people that seem lower income, they're still pay grades above everyone else. Right. And it's not to say that there's no problems, but like, take like ex- imagine not having a home and still having to do your day-to-day and around your environment you're hearing people go mom which yacht uh blew away okay yeah. it's not the bad yacht i guess the hurricane's not too bad oh mom so you mean to tell me instead of having four cars we now have three cars like that is the sort of losses they had whereas like i don't know what my next meal is and that's 
kind of the level of uh, dystopia I was experiencing, which gave birth to like a day without love because I I didn't just have an imposter syndrome. I just kind of felt like I wasn't enough because I didn't have enough. Um, I didn't feel like I belonged. Kids were bullying me, um, not for being poor, but for other reasons, you know? And that's kind of like what made me say, I don't know what to do about this other than write about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. The, um, uh, um, uh, so did you, did you leave immediately or, or did you finish? I couldn't. Yeah. I literally, I literally couldn't because during that time the train wasn't working. Uh, the bridges were flooded. I couldn't afford taking a helicopter out. That was the only way out. So I said to myself after hurricane Sandy, I have one more semester. So I just toughed it out. Yeah. And, like, and the whole thing is like, it wasn't like my grandparents weren't supportive. It's they couldn't do anything. They could, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so. it's, it's how, it's how islands work. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very easy to cut them off. Um, well, that's, that's, that's wild. Um, so, so you start the day without love project as a band. What was the, um, does, was there a desire to kind of just focus and make it, you know, kind of a solo endeavor or was it just like, uh, an availability thing? Um, so before I answer your question, are you asking like, how did it become solo? Or are you asking like, okay, yeah. So the whole thing for me is I always wanted to make it a band and thankfully I have a band now. Um, and I kind of was in between two different places of, I want a band of songwriters that we, where we co-write. Um, and I never got that, but that is something that I want, um, still to this day. And now I'm kind of more of like, I want a small orchestra, you know, um, but that being the side of like what I want now, like how it started was, I just wanted a band to sing the like help me sing about my sad feelings. Like that's that's all it was. And then as like things moved forward in my life, from like being a very sad person to a lesser sad person, I realized like there were other parts of my life and parts of my experiences that I needed to write about, which kind of led to the different formations. But like that first lineup while it changed a lot of reasons why it changed for them was mostly because like their time scheduling realizing what they did and did not want to commit to whereas like i knew i still wanted to commit to it because i saw things growing i still had a, a future I, I believed in myself and i still do believe in myself and then i think i wanted to keep it solo after having a big falling out with my drummer at the time because uh, my drummer and i like had a lot of disagreements like personal disagreements musical disagreements because this one i was playing as a two-piece and I had this aha moment, like all my friends and bands are breaking up because they have like either a, a day job that won't allow them. And I have a day job that will allow them. They're getting married. They want kids. They can't balance it. I was like, but then there's just me. And I said, I'll get a band when it's the right time, but let me start touring. I've played Philly enough. I even got an award from like this, like, blog about uh you know philly's next 25 people on this other stuff and I, and I felt cool about it but then i was like i need to figure out what do i want and that's why i wrote that was part of why i wrote diary because like diary is my second album and my first album was solace and that was about like finding cover my own suffering finding myself after becoming sober experiencing like the loss of my grandfather with cancer it was just like literally finding comfort in my literal suffering whereas diary was like a prequel to solace about well what is the suffering 
because I think I, the whole thing was like, I'm telling a bunch of people about, you know, Isolation and Island. That was my first EP. Uh, Why I Won't Kill Myself and Confessions of the Innocent Mind. Then I did a split, which is about like my um, mother with cerebral palsy who didn't want to raise me. And then I talk about my suffering, but I didn't really talk about what the suffering was, which is which needed to be a solo record. And I toured on that record for a number of years. And then through that touring, I met all these other musicians. And that's where the collaboration record came in. And I was like, hey, I could still be solo. But not only am I going to be solo, I'm going to learn how to play with different instruments and different types of singers to de- determine what my next thing's going to be about. And that's where Mega John came out. And then the pandemic happened. And then that's when I said, I don't know what's next. I'm just going to figure it out. And but during while figuring it out, that's why I wrote this next record, which was a homage to everything that I did, but also interpersonally was about if you feel lost as a musician, you're not. You could find a home. So that's kind of like the trajectory. Like while it's a lot of music, like in that three minutes I just explained to you, that's what each iteration of a day without love is about. That's incredible. Um, and you, because you know, like you just said that is a lot of music. Like, what was there? Like eleven EPs or something like that in there, or something like that. Or, um, so I have four full length albums, um, thirteen EPs, but I took two down, so it's now eleven. Two, no, three studio albums, and I have fifteen, no, sixteen collaborations that like you could find across the internet and. It's about to be nineteen in a in a few months. Oh, it's yeah. unbelievable, dude. And and then and then uh, just for the listeners who don't know, on top of that, also um, a book of poetry, yep. um, a podcast, yep. uh, a documentary, yep. plus touring. Okay, yep. so here here's my question because I am one guy with one podcast um, that <laughs> yeah. sometimes releases on time. Okay. Yeah. Um, how do you, um, uh, how do you fight burnout? And the reason I ask this is because, uh, shout out to the IUPUI student of the, uh, podcasting, um, uh, course there. I did a, uh, a seminar where I was like a guest speaker and somebody oh. asked me, um, somebody asked me that exact question. How, how do you handle burnout? And mm-hmm. I, 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 I told her, I don't, um, I just, <laughs> I said, whenever you see a change in seasons in the podcast, that's because I burned out and I've was like i'm never doing this again and then i came back and i was like hey, it's season three uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah um no i completely resonate with that i feel like i'm still learning that um and i'm starting to learn how to do that independently because like through a lot of my phases as a musician there was either a loss of life of a family member or a friend a falling out with someone i had been dating with or uh, just it's like a lot of trauma and during those trauma scenarios or periods uh, you know, those trauma periods of my like creative life I would push through and good or bad things happened um, and now I'm kind of more in an era of it's okay to take a break without burning yourself out like for example I haven't released a dreams not means podcast episode in about four months however that also has to do with the fact that I've been touring. Um, I've been working on the release of a record. Uh, I've been brainstorming what my goals are. I like hired a consultant on like, how can I do this more efficiently and things like that. And now like this week I'm going to email like 
roughly 50 to 100 musicians from countries that I haven't talked to and see if I could schedule some interviews. So it's kind of like, a, you know, throw the spaghetti, see what sticks, right? But I'm also going to tell all of these people, you don't have to, like, schedule it now. Tell me when you want to schedule it, right? Yeah. Um, musically, I've learned how to be more efficient each record I've done and how to delegate accordingly. So, like, while I just released A Stranger That You Met before a month ago, I'm already sitting on, like, 19 songs. And instead of making this record as ambitious as A Stranger That You Met before, I'm looking to make an 8 to 10 song record on people pleasing and living with your own emotional and psychological imperfections so like the record's mostly about anxiety um and it's different from solace because solace is like how do i find peace when i'm traumatized as hell whereas this record's going to be like how do i not be so sorry (laughs) (laughs) like dealing with my anxiety and stuff like that and in that record something that i typically do is i write a bunch of songs and just do the elimination method but no this time i'm looking at it as like write what comes to heart but then also take those songs write about you know as an outline this is the title of the record what makes sense to this title but limit it to 10 ideas right with one interlude or so. So like, that's kind of like how I'm working to prevent myself from burnout. Because what I used to do before is like, I'd write all of these songs and I'd be like, no, we're going to be hits. And like, I've detached from the idea of hits. I'm more about purpose and meaning because the thing is like, there's plenty of creatives that I know that I've blown up playing a NPR sessions, KXP sessions. It's not that those aren't a goal for mine, but it's more of like, I can't idolize these moments as the end because when you think of it as the end and it never happens, that's when you burn out. So I always look at like my creativity, like there's also more documentaries I want to make and many documentaries I want to make, but like I also have to remember like I'm only 35. Right. And I know like society really tries to make it seem like you die at 24 and that's so not true. But the thing is, like, always play the game of what are you expecting out of yourself? What are you expecting out of your challenges? And lastly, what do you don't expect? Because I don't think expecting things is bad, but I do think expecting too much or too little is bad. Because if you expect too much, you overperform and you burn out. You expect too little, um, you're, you're doubting yourself, right? But if you have some healthy expectations and goals, then you come to an understanding that, like, okay, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to sleep. It's okay to hydrate, you know, things like that. Because I don't think grind culture is bad, but I think over grind culture is bad because there's nothing wrong with working hard and practicing, but there is something wrong with like that mentality you see where it's like, cut your friends off, isolate, turn everything off for 30 days, read the four agreements. Like that, that mentality is crazy. It really is. And and that's where I say that's why people are burning out because they're following these like insane gurus, if you will. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I and I've talked about this a few times, but the thing that always burns me out is when I lose the thread. Like when I when I start like looking at you know when and it just takes and this is what I told that the the student was like. 
every once in a while I have to go back and listen to like season one episodes and just yeah. kind of remember where I was and where I am now and just kind of go, oh, right, this, this is why I do this. It's not because, you know, like the number of downloads or streams or, you know, like, sure. um, because I don't know if you know this or not. You said you've taken a little break, but um, uh, Apple Podcasts changed the way their downloads work and uh, yeah. in the with the uh, iOS update. And uh, in the past like month or so, uh, things have gotten a little tight for your boy. No, uh, but <laughs> but it's a, it's like it's a weird time because it's the same time that like uh, this podcast comes out on what used to be Anchor and is now um, Spotify for podcasters. All right, and and yeah. Anchor's draw was you could monetize at any level, um, and once Spotify took over, they were like uh, not so fast. And then now they've changed the parameters to the only downloads that count towards monetization or or um, being eligible for monetization are direct Spotify downloads. It has nothing to do with any other download and stuff like that. So like. Um, so like it, 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 it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, this is starting to get like, you know, uh, frustrating in that, like what? So now I'm going to drive everybody to Spotify. I'm not going to do that because, yeah. because, uh, no offense to the people who host this podcast, fuck Spotify. Like I'm not fucking directing people there. You know what I mean? No, like, I'm, I'm totally with you about that because like, I don't understand how Spotify picks and chooses like as a podcaster or a musician who should be heard versus who shouldn't be heard. Because like case in point, I'm on an editorial playlist for folk punk and that's all good and well. But like I say this without ego, but more objectivity, I gig more than most folk punk musicians, like in general, but there's some artists out there that dropped a record, haven't promoted it. Haven't even made a, only made one Instagram post don't gig probably work at some like shop or for some office and Spotify, Twitter, like will pump out all the promotion, put them on every playlist possible. And the question is like, part of it is race. Like I saw a shirt yesterday, black is an algorithm because you know, there is like the invisibility of, of the internet because like you're a black creator, but at the same time, the rhyme or reason is just so inconsistent because there's people out there that are playing shows that are promoting their podcasts that are promoting their platforms and these algorithms will censor you like nobody's business like yesterday i got one of my posts taken down that i posted like two years ago singing about french fries with a friend like a touring friend french fries <laughs> like literally french fries no no weird undertones or anything um or on the podcast part, there was a part, there was a time where Anchor had um, top 10 black podcasters you should check out. And then it was like, if you are a black podcaster within the Anchor community who speaks about music or culture, and I was like, all right, well, James and Not Memes is hosted by a black person. I speak about music, culture, politics, the whole nine. I was like, I think I qualify. They said, click here. So you would click to like have your podcast listed. And then it was supposed to be listed on a podcast playlist with Spotify. Why did it take me three months to be seen? You know, so like I'm saying all these things to say that like part of it tells me it's because these platforms are run by tech organizations, not creators. And another part of it is the architecture is not suited for the creator 
it's not even suited for the listener, really. It's just suited based on like a small population of people that think something's going to do well. And sometimes they're right. But oftentimes they're, they're making some gatekeeping decisions that really isn't fair or equitable. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's also like uh, it, it, I, I don't want to um, throw this Molotov cocktail without thinking sure. about it and, and, and yeah. wording it properly. But um, uh, I had this whole thing about the algorithm. OK. And, and this isn't just Spotify. This is this is all social. This is this is everything that whenever somebody complains about the algorithm. Right. To me, the algorithm isn't the problem. <laughs> people are um and yeah. and and like i don't know how to affect that change and i don't know like so like you know i i look at the algorithm i said this a few years ago i look at the algorithm like the actual um sense of karma all right which is you know not the idea of like if you do bad something bad will happen to you but if you do bad you put bad energy out into the world and now bad energy exists if you do sure. good you put good energy out into the world and now good energy exists all right and i look at i look at the algorithm or or any kind of social issue like that and i'm like the only reason this thing is affecting you the way that it is is because of what everybody is putting into it right so yeah. like so how do we how do we correct the algorithm when we can't correct the user um and i don't have an answer it's just it's one of those like you know things i've been fighting with for maybe three years now like i i don't know what the i don't know what the answer to that is um um so like you know, um, I, yes, um, uh, tech companies and, and corporations do have a responsibility to yeah. adjust the algorithm to kind of ref to, I don't want to say re reflect, but more like to enhance and be able to expose people to different kinds of things. Right. But that's yeah. not what it does, because the way that it's built is this has attention. So here's something like this. Go at it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, no, you're completely right. Um, and part of that can be mediated. Well, unfortunately is mediated by market dollars, like meaning yes. um, it's like, it's not the algorithm, it's the user, but like the mediation is often the ad dollar component, like, you know, taking like elections being impacted by ad dollars from, you know, like politicians really shouldn't have social media accounts. They never should have. Um, you know, Fortune 500 companies shouldn't have social media accounts, right? But they've used these social media accounts to monetize the lives of various, like, platform creators, like musicians. Like, for example, should have Ice Spice really been in a Dunkin' Donuts commercial? No. Probably not. No. That makes no sense, like, if you really want to think about it, right? And then, like, bringing that down to, like, TikTokers that end up on Taco Bell and things like that. And what I think the internet has kind of told us is what used to be a social platform where someone could create out of the goodness of their heart has now turned into everyone's making a commercial. Now the question is, is that commercial attracting the attention um, that it's going to profit? And then secondly, our users now have a warped sense of reality and quality. Like case in point, there are people who have seen me play live that say things like, yo, what's the production on your vocals? 
where do they get that idea from? Like, I'm just singing acoustically and organically, and they're asking about the production of my vocals. Um, clearly, they have no understanding of sound engineering, but that idea and mentality is really coming from the viral creators of music and the TikTok, YouTube, and, and Facebook world, where people are using terms that don't make any sense about how to appreciate music or not understanding that production value of a song is going to vary depending on the genre like like hip-hop has kind of capitalized what people think a good song should sound like where people think like bass should be mid uh drum should be loud and snappy and vocals should be forward above everything but it's like that's not always true because if you're talking about shoegaze it's very much the opposite right so with that being said, like, I definitely think that the creator economy as well as the user economy is being perpetuated and controlled by these like large corporations for the sake of profit or otherwise known as late state capitalism. But not only that, I think the ethical component is like people are having unrealistic expectations of themselves, which is leading to burnout, but also people having unrealistic expectations of others i think a great example of that is this cheesecake factory scandal are you aware of that no so a woman uh posted on tiktok that uh a first date took her to cheesecake factory oh i did hear this yes <laughs> yeah yeah and like i'm by no means like bashing people that go to cheesecake factory or bashing any gender but because that went viral then that opens up an unrealistic dialogue about what someone should or should not do within the experience of going to Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. You know, and you know it, yeah. it's, it's weird because like, that's one of my other major complaints about um, a post internet society is that like, nobody wants to be a fan anymore. Everybody has to be an insider. Like the fact that we talk about box office numbers or first week yeah. streams and sales and stuff like that in, and, and more, we talk about that more than we talk about like reviewing the actual product. It's like, well, yeah. like, like reviews are now like, well, people didn't like this. And it's like, okay, I'm not asking what people I, I want somebody to tell me critically what you thought of it you know what i mean like yeah. people are letting other people make the decision for them or like uh another thing that i find interesting like relative to music is musicians are literally like wearing themselves out for getting a certain amount of streams in a period of time and not letting the album breathe or people releasing albums and not even know how to play their album anymore it's pretty crazy <laughs> yeah the 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 turnaround time on a, on a release and and i mean that even as a as like a fan you know like the fact that like um all of these artists that i love i'm not going to shoot any shots because like hey whatever you got to do to make money like i'm not i am not coming down on anybody for this sure. but the amount of bands that i know that are releasing cover albums of like i did someone's uh, you know a, a cover album of somebody else's entire album i'm like what do, what are you doing like I, I know that you just put out an album that you worked incredibly hard on and you spent maybe four or five months on it and now you're done and now it's like here's my cover album of fill in the blank you know like it's weird to me and yeah. and and like it, it, it's just not sustainable. Like I just, don't, it's not sustainable. We're making, we're, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm about to fire off into a, but we're, we're making everything way too disposable. And yeah. and and we're like we're doing it because we're chasing something that isn't sustainable. Like we're, you know, and yeah. and it scares me. 
Well, the whole question is, and I write this as a lyric for an unreleased song is, are we chasing dreams or are we chasing dopamine? Either way, I know it challenges the self-esteem. Um, because like, I don't know if you've ever watched the show Atlanta and how it talks about this like post-internet, post-Afro-modern society and like the impacts of fame. I think there's a big difference between, and I, and I address this in the current album, developing a community and letting it grow one listener at a time, one person at a time, one interview at a time versus, all right, I did this clickbait tactic to trigger this like listening engagement. And then when you're at the show, you can't even be present because you're still trying to trick the, the social media thing. Right. And no shade to promoting on social media. I do that all the time. But I'm also very careful about my own mental health around that. Like, I I don't understand the musicians that are like, I have 45,000 followers or I have 50,000 followers. Why did I only get 33 views in the past two hours? Well, I'm going to counter with, how did you get those followers? Was it authentic to your goals? Were you true? Did you pay a platform? Did you pay a consultant to get some type of strategy that still wasn't true to who you are? Are you oversaturating your timeline? Because like, if I really have 45,000 followers, right? One, I never need a day job. <laughs> you yeah. know, if 45,000 people are buying my $30 uh, album, you know, that's like what? $1.2 million? <laughs> you know what I mean? If I'm getting $1.2 million regularly on anything I, re I release, I'm starting a nonprofit for black children. Like I'm dead serious versus I got 45,000 followers because I did some TikTok trend and only 45 people are buying my record. Like then I'm going to tell you, keep, keep working. Cause I'm, I'm more of the latter than, than the former and I'm not complaining. It's just kind of like these sort of analytics and numbers are tricking people's realistic expectations of where they are as a creator and in their career. Yeah, I, that was a conversation I had recently um, where I just um, uh, and and that's my that's where I've started to kind of draw this line on social media, which is yeah. that like that like the, I, I think I said the the uh, YouTube short with the most views that I put up I think was me unboxing um, merchandise um, two yeah. T-shirts that I had made for the sh for the thing. All right, M most views of anything I've done. Do you want to know how many shirts it sold? Zero. Okay, so like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's like, I, I, I'm definitely with you with that. I think that humbled me when a friend of mine um, unintentionally promoted one of my merch shirts. And I think in like 48 hours, no, 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 more like four days, it got like 300,000 views. And, and I learned something from her perspective and my perspective. She put the sound out, she put the song out on Bandcamp. And only 15 p people got the, the, the record. So think about it. Yeah. 300,000 people bought, got your record on you being silly. And that's that's fine of being silly. But only 15 people bought it. And then in terms of the shirt, I got about 20 sales out of it. So two things are going on. How did I get more sales than you? And you're promoting your own song. And then secondly, why did 300,000 people see this thing and neither bought the shirt or the song? that that's where i go like these inflated numbers how real are they um is is the view just 0.4 of a second there's a lot of things that just aren't being communicated and like 
these apps often uh, they create false realities. And and then for the user, it, it's got to be unreal because it's like they see this thing and they get attracted to it because it has a lot of views, but they're not even taking the action that's being requested of them. Yeah. And you know what the worst part is? And and, and, and I swear I'll get off this. <laughs> so, um, is um, that because none of this data is kind of public or or anybody ever really talks about it because everybody's so like um you know shy about about their yeah. numbers and stuff like that then you start to think that like your numbers are terrible when they're not yeah. like i just i just spoke to somebody um who runs a um uh podcast growth uh podcast all right and um it's it's a sales pitch but whatever um, he's got good tips in there. So, uh, but um, one of the things he said is he works with podcasts and growing people's shows and stuff like that. And he said the average podcast has between, uh, and, and, you know, like not any of the big name, you know, uh, 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 produ produced ones, um, averages between 50 and 150 downloads per episode. And I was like, that can't be true. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, that has to be completely anecdotal to you. And he was like, no, it's kind of, he's like, Yes, there are anecdotal, you know, my experience and stuff like that. But he's like, that's that's the average. And I was like, oh, well, then I guess I'm doing OK. Like, yeah. <laughs> but nobody says that. Nobody wants you to know that you're doing OK. And they always yeah. want you to think that you're not doing enough. And the question is, is that manipulation? I think years from now, like a lot of these organizations will be called by ethics, like because I personally think the government, you know, they're fighting against Facebook, they're fighting against TikTok they're having the wrong conversations because I think they're so focused about like, is this going to be communism all over again with like TikTok and like, is, is Zuckerberg trying to take over America? But no, it's not about whether this is like uh, an attack on American land or whatever. The fight is how are these organizations ethically responsible for the mental welfare of its users and creators? And how is that impacting people's, happiness, safety, ability to function. And and I don't know when like the people in power are going to be able to have that conversation because I met many people who have half a million, not even half a million, 50,000 and up who genuinely are damaged by these platforms. Like they can't function in real life. They're not going outside to go for a walk. They're not going to the gym. They're not, like you mind, I'm a remote worker, <laughs> you know, like, I live by a beach now, so I go out to the beach to get some some away time. And I don't think if my followers were to get to 50,000, I'm going to become that person. But like a lot of creators, music and non-musical, like they're not okay. And the platforms are going to have to one day speak on that. Like, hey, we made them the, the algorithm this way so we can manipulate you into coming back. Because yeah. right now, like drugs are a problem in, in the world. But this is a drug, and it's getting bad. <laughs> uh, man, I don't I, know how we got here, but yeah. I don't either. I don't either. Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I want to jump into the Jauntlet questionnaire that I close things out. But before sure. I do, maybe I'll ask you a question, I don't know, about your music. Uh, but uh, <laughs> here's here's a question. You don't have to answer it um, if, if there's an answer you don't want to give. And that is, um, DIY or die is catchy as fuck, okay? Yeah. But I want to know. Who's singing for corporate? Is is there someone specifically you're directing this at? Is this a diss track? <laughs> this it is a diss track, and it's it's really about 
a number of people, and I think this is a cycle that I've seen so many times, and I, and I don't say it bitterly. I say it with an honesty objection. It, it's sure. not like I wish I was in your situation. It's for the people from every hometown, city, uh, and neighborhood that was playing you know, the local DIY shows, the local festival, and they get picked up by a label, and then suddenly they're back in the coffee shop that you knew them at, and they they erased all their music, they stopped playing gigs, and something came went wrong, and they're not communicating because it's like they signed to like an Atlantic Records or a Columbia or a Vagrant or whatever it might be, and they kind of dissociate from who they were because they went from playing to 50 to 200 people to more like thousands of people every night, and suddenly they get on an ego trip but really they lost their entire rights to be creative. I am all for people that like get to travel the world and, and, and grow as a musician, but I'm not for people that metaphorically or literally, we're not going to get into Illuminati, like um, lose their sense of self just for the sake of fame or attention or, or lose their sense of rights. Like I, I actually said this uh, sarcastically to someone that said like, What's better if I release my song and, you know, a hundred of my friends come to my show or if I release an album and I get a thousand friends that come to my show. I said, what's better is if, if you could pay demo insurance or not, <laughs> you know, because it's like, it's not about these algorithm tricks or so-and-so label got you. It's more about, can I create and can I live? Yeah. Um, because I could care less. I mean, great, I'm on a label and my and, and my, the label I'm on knows this, but like my bottom line is share my story as efficiently as possible and grow it as big as possible. But don't rob my freedom to go to a therapist or, you know, keep going to like recovery meetings or, you know, brushing my teeth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Cause this like that lifestyle is not real. It's not like people have needs. And I think a lot of times people sign into contracts without thinking about their needs. So it's awesome. Awesome. All right. At this time, you ready to jump through the jauntlet? These are yeah, uh, my stock it. questions. It starts yeah, with the one yeah. hit wonders. First one, Billy Joel or Elton John, who do you prefer? I'm going to say Billy Joel. Yeah. Does uh, any of the long Islandness uh, sink in on that one? <laughs> I probably it probably does. To be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I think Elton John's music's too long, so that, that's okay. That's, yeah. yeah, it's fair. That's fair. Uh Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Joan Jett. I actually got to eat lunch with her once. So yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. In Long Island. So yeah, yeah. All right. I dig that. Uh Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Aretha, because, you know, Philly. So, yeah. 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 Um, I, I think it was uh, Adam uh, Weiner from Lo Kakani had an answer for that, that like, um, because like, I, I go back and forth every once in a while, right? But he was like, he was like Aretha for her voice, Tina for her performance. And I was like, God damn it. Like, why, why did you say valid. that perfectly? Tina's also got a crazier story. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Nirvana. Yeah, I kind of sensed it. Kind of sensed it. Um, Janice or Stevie Nicks? Stevie Nicks. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, big one: Beatles or the Stones? I would choose the Stones over the Beatles. Hell yeah, me too. Uh, okay. Yeah, um, but I will say, did you did you follow this whole now and then thing? Um, the new Beatles song. No. 
Okay, so so they um, used AI to recreate John Lennon's uh, to separate John Lennon's voice from um, the piano on a cassette demo um, that he recorded back in the seventies. Uh-huh. And um, and then um, uh, Paul and and Ringo and George back in I want to say like t- uh, late nineties, early two thousand, um, tried to uh, when they were doing the first anthologies, um, tried to do something with it, but they couldn't they couldn't get it to work. Well, now that but they they actually laid tracks, so they have George Harrison tracks on it, and then now um, Peter Jackson's company did something to be able to just isolate Paul's vocals. So they released a new a, a new final Beatles song, and um, there's a 12 minute document documentary out about it, and and like it's overwhelmingly beautiful. Um, and mm. then they released a music video for it, and it's not it's goofy. Uh, the song is good, like I really like the song, but the music yeah. video they released they like put them superimpose them next to like younger versions of themselves and stuff, and it's just goofy. Like I don't know what they were doing. They had something beautiful and they ruined it. But uh, check out the documentary because it's really fast. Fascinating. Gotcha. Interesting. Um, last one of the one hit wonders: Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven? I'm gonna say Bohemian Rhapsody. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, all right. So top ten countdown. I don't have to tell you this, even though you left us and you moved to uh, Boston. Uh, uh, John can be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be oh, music. Yeah. Uh, number one, first John. Uh, what were you first obsessed with when you were a kid? Whew, I was obsessed with a lot of things. Um, I'm going to say Dragon Ball Z was my obsession. Yeah. yeah. Um, I worked at Sam Goody um, when um, Dragon Ball was at its heat, uh, like at, at its peak, and the amount of VHSs that that like we sold of of episodes, and like whenever a new one would drop, the lines would be out the door. That shit was uh, that was enormous. Yeah, I believe it. And it's weird to me because, like, as big as it is, like, you know, people still talk about Pokemon and, and, you know, stuff like that. I'm surprised not as many people talk about Dragon Ball Z. And I'm surprised that nobody has tried to make an Americanized um, version of it as a film. Like, it just... it Someone did, and it was super low budget, and it went to shit, to be honest with you. Oh, really? Um, But I do think that's going to come back again. And the reason why is because... This year, someone did a renew of uh, Veroni Kenshin, which is a different anime, and was really, really, really good. And also, the uh, creation of One Piece kind of made people realize, like, okay, maybe we've been doing live-action anime bad, and this is the model about how to do it good. So I, I think, like, because One Piece became accessible to, like, non-anime watchers. Yeah. So I think they're probably going to redo it or retry all right. All right. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, number two, what's your current, John? What are you into right now? Um, outside of music, I think my big John now is just food. Uh, yeah. Like, I definitely see, like, during the down season, December, January, February, I'm probably just going to be blogging about a lot of food between Philly and Boston, if I'm being honest with you. Like, I, I, I'll have cheesesteak documentaries. I have Wawa versus Sheets documentaries on the YouTube channel. I'm probably going to get back into that. So, yeah, it's food. Um, I'm a sheets guy as much as I, I live in, in this town. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. Like uh, people just don't know. Like I understand, I understand the hometown pride and all, but no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number three, what was the first concert you ever went to? First live show. My first live show, um, was hello goodbye and the hush sound. Wow. Uh, Where was that at? 
was at Lehigh University and was sponsored by Rockstar. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, branding. Yes, branding. <laughs> That's killer. Uh, number four, what was the last concert you went to? Uh, last concert I went to, okay, that I did play or that I did not play? That you didn't play, unless it's like a festival or something like that. But uh, sure. yeah. The last show I went to that I didn't play would be uh, this band called Milk Street. They're from Bangor, Maine, like way up there, uh, and, and Justin Arena. So, yeah. Okay. East in Cambridge. Yep. Nice. Nice. Uh, number five, what's your favorite concert? What's the best live show you ever saw? That was probably a tie between Hiatus Coyote at the Trocadero uh, main stage, and then the other tie would be it's a three way tie. Hiatus Coyote, Sounds of Animal Fighting, also at the Trocadero. And then I'm also going to say uh, it was seeing Alabama Shakes at the Man. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, what, that's one of my very different cycles of music, but like they, they really played. So yeah. The man <laughs> yeah. the man's like one of my favorite venues, period. Um, yeah. except for uh the lawn is just unmanageable there. Like you just can't see shit. <laughs> true, true. You gotta um, I feel like it's better to go early in the Yes. Afterwards later. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Definitely. You're right. Uh number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. I'm going to say Kendrick. Yeah. I would love to see Kendrick with a full band. Uh, I wanted to see that um, where he played a smaller show at Troc. Well, those tickets were $700, and uh, that's rent. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, man. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how I felt. Where, what was it? I was just, oh, uh, Brandy Carlisle was playing somewhere in New York. Um, the Bowery, maybe? I can't remember. Somewhere small, uh, small-ish. Yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, let's go. And it was like... It was like four hundred or something a seat, and I was like, I mean, uh, I would like you, but <laughs> that's 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 bills, you know. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> I don't got it like that. Yeah, true. <laughs> uh, number seven, name an unappreciated John. Something you wish had more shine to it. The hoagie. Um, yeah. I feel like just across America, whether you want to call it a grinder, a sub, a hoagie, we don't give love to cold cuts and hoagies as much as we should. It's always ranch something, but like a nice Italian with oil, like, oh my God, it's, it's life. I like that, that's the cure to depression, to be honest with you. So <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree. I used to, I used to work in a uh, sandwich pizza shop and like you, you know, everybody always says, oh, I bet you got sick eating the same stuff over and over again. I didn't, you know why? Because it's phenomenal and you never that, get sick of it. <laughs> endorphins. Oh. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, number eight. What's your favorite album? Ooh, that's that's not fair. Um, <laughs> it changes, and I'm going to say for this season, like in the fall, "Miseducation" of Lauren Hill is like a very good fall album. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm going to say that one. Good yeah. answer. Good answer. Any records? I, I oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, number nine, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they put out. Mm. Uh, he is no longer with us, but I know he's got more records, but I'm going to say Mac Miller. Yeah, I I haven't gotten it yet, but I really want to get a copy of that tiny desk on vinyl. Like, uh, they, oh, yes. they, 
They they uh, they did it as a limited thing, and then it finally came out, and I still just haven't picked it up yet. But that is definitely that was yeah. just like otherworldly. Like it was just <laughs> unexpected. And no one saw it coming. Yeah. Like, I mean, well, my friend who actually is like friend of a friend with him was like, "Yo, your boy Mac died." I was like, "Oh." Malcolm from the street? Like, I was not thinking about Malcolm Miller. I was thinking of, like, like a different guy. <laughs> mm. And I was like, no way. And then, yeah, so. Oh, it's so tragic. So tragic. Uh, number 10, what is your favorite John of all time? Can be anything you want it to be. Um, I'm going to say the experience of playing a really good show and just having a good meal. And, and then just ending it with like hanging out with my partner and watching a movie. Like that's like the, the best. Um, could also involve an outdoor activity, like going for a walk pre-show. But like that's like just having those experiences where like you're doing what you enjoy and there's no like attachment of like outcomes or, or like you have to please anyone. You're just you're just enjoying and, and being like that. That's my favorite job. God damn, that's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Um, so A Stranger That You've Met Before is out now. Um, it came out in October, and it's out uh, all streaming spaces, right? Yeah, and then yeah, the vinyl course. the vinyl is available through Bandcamp, correct? Yep, yep. and uh, uh, it's there's only 39 copies left, so if you want to get it, get it now. So um, there will be a second pressing, but the first pressing is special, so yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad I got. I'm glad I got it in early on that, and uh, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to get that. Um, sure. So, if these good people want to find you on the socials, what's the best way to track you down? Uh, find me on everything under a day without love. Some of it's going to be a day without love band like TikTok, but everything else is just a day without love. And you'll find my updates on where I'm flying, where I'm gigging, where I'm recording, who I'm recording with, the whole nine. Um, like I said, there will be food posts too. So yeah. <laughs> Awesome. It'll make us all hungry. Uh, Brian, thank you so much, not just for doing this, but also, one, for um, the patience of waiting for me to um, get out of my own way and finally make this happen, uh, but also uh, for creating just all of the, the music that you've created and the, the, the community that you've brought with it and, and the things you do to kind of affect the world. And, you know, not, not uh, selfishly either, like just trying to make a better place and um, I, it's incredibly admirable and I absolutely appreciate you and thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you so much as well and this has been a very great episode and uh, I look forward to, to hearing it and sharing it with others. My thanks again to Brian for joining me on the show today. A Stranger That You Met Before Today, the new album by A Day Without Love, is out now on Your Mom Records and available wherever you stream music. And the vinyl is still available to purchase at adaywithoutlove.bandcamp.com. You can catch A Day Without Love live at The Rockwell in Somerville, Massachusetts, next Thursday, November 30th at 7 p.m. Follow them on the socials at A Day Without Love on Instagram, Twitter X, and YouTube, at A Day Without Love Band on TikTok, and at A Day Without Love Music on Facebook. And of course, for more info, you can check out Brian's website at www.adaywithoutlove.com. Links to all of those are, of course, here in the show notes. 
If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And turkeys, it is never too late to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for the link tree with links to articles, merchandise, all of the previous episodes of this podcast, guest appearances on all other pods, and more. And while you are there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter X at yo that's my John and search yo that's my John on YouTube to find the yo that's my John YouTube channel. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. Happy Thanksgiving friends. I got a lot to be thankful for and you guys are a big part of that. So as always, thank you for listening. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Hey, yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be. Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo, that's my John at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs>